Our second reading today is from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, the first chapter. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him with all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no dissensions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brethren. What I mean is that each one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say to you that you were baptized in my name. I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will thwart. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your call, brethren. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast of the Lord. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, all of you who have joined this congregation in the past 20 years or so have participated in one of our Welcome to Faith seminars, and even before then, uh, there were classes held several times a year for all those who wanted to find out more about faith and uh, consider joining our life and mission as a congregation. I will never forget um, one person who attended uh, one of those seminars early in my ministry here with you. Uh, She was not raised in a Christian home. She said that her uh, father was an atheist and uh, her mother was a hippie who didn't believe in much of anything. (laughs) And she identified herself as a spiritual explorer. She'd been exploring and she um, liked what she experienced here. And so she came to the Welcome to Faith seminar shortly thereafter. During one of our classes, she asked, why do the pastors always read from the Bible and always talk about Jesus and the cross every time they preach? And then she said, you know, Bruce, there's a lot of other really good literature out there. Perhaps you pastors should consider expanding your sources. It's so refreshing when people who don't have any Christian background come and say things like that. Because most people who come from a Christian background are just, you know, so nice and so polite. And it wasn't that she was rude. She was asking that, uh, that question, um, thinking, because she had no Christian background, that somehow in the preaching there was a deficiency, a problem uh, in need of fixing. But what she really said that night was a compliment, unintended to be sure. It was an affirmation. Preaching Christ crucified is no deficiency at all. It is more than enough. Uh, In this proclamation is truth, the very power of God, the very wisdom of God. Uh, Though the world rejects the message of a crucified God as a silly myth. Uh, To the world in the day of Paul and even today, uh, the cross is perceived as a sign of weakness, uh, irrelevance, and even uh, impotence. It was the way when Paul wrote this letter nearly 2,000 years ago. It's the same today, only I submit to you that today we now see many Christian leaders uh, and those who would dare to call themselves preachers turning away from the wisdom of the cross. Uh, A.W. Tozier, some of you know him, was a Christian writer, a pastor here in the United States who died back in 1963. During his 44 years of ministry, He uh, delivered many sermons and wrote many books. Perhaps you've read some of them. Even then, Tozier saw the emerging popular preachers of his day speaking less and less about the power of the cross and more and more about this human potential movement. And he said, the old cross slew men, the new cross entertains them. The old cross condemned, the new cross amuses. The old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh, the new cross encourages it.
German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw the same thing, only he was in Germany, not these United States. He saw the Lutheran church in his beloved homeland selling out to the Nazi party, to Hitler, in order to avoid suffering and stay in favor with worldly power. Instead of preaching Christ crucified, what Bonhoeffer referred to as costly grace, he saw pastors and theologians peddling a false gospel, what he called cheap grace. And he described it like this. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. You see, the cross was never meant to win human popularity contests. The cross reminds us that every human attempt to gain life, to gain power, to gain importance, to gain status is only temporary. And in the end, all of our human efforts, this side of heaven, uh, fail to provide the grace and the hope which only God can provide, provided by Jesus and his death on a cross in your place and mine. A costly grace has been replaced by cheap grace more than a few times in our lifetime. Uh, some of you remember um, a prominent preacher in California that became wildly popular, even had a television show, attracted an adoring crowd, talked about the power of positive thinking, and avoided in every message any notion of humankind's failures, our sin, and our powerlessness when it comes to um, our ability to save ourselves. Uh, he put it this way, when you can't solve the problem, manage it. Failure doesn't mean you're a failure, it just means you haven't succeeded yet. Look, I'm all for managing problems as your senior pastor, but God does not call you or me to manage our sin. The empire of this West Coast pastor, as you probably know, uh, crashed and burned, and his once great cathedral went on the market when the place went bankrupt and the money ran out. And in one of the greatest ironies of Christian history, uh, the building was purchased by the Roman Catholic Diocese, where they have Ash Wednesday services with the sign of the cross that was always forgotten in the former days, put on the forehead of every man, woman, and child. Even though that crystal cathedral failed, it doesn't mean cheap grace doesn't sell anymore. Cheap grace will always be around because there will be people with itchy ears just wanting to hear a message that, um, that entertains them, that makes them feel better about themselves. Cheap grace will be around because so many people don't want to hear uh, this foolishness of Christ crucified and the message of the cross. The names and locations have changed, but the message is the same. Instead of a crystal cathedral in California, it's now a former sports stadium in Texas. And here's what the so-called preacher from that organization tells his followers. You may have made some mistakes, but that doesn't make you a sinner. Why, you've got the very nature of God on the inside of you. God wants you to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, 
to fulfill the destiny he's laid out for you? Listen to this. Faith activates God. If you heard me preach that, you should stand up and cry out heresy. This so-called pastor went on a speaking tour, and the cheap seats would only set you back $226. Because cheap grace sells. People are dying to hear it, and they will surely die if they never hear the message of the cross and the good news of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, our faith does not activate God. The power of the resurrection, the power of a crucified and risen Lord activates faith within us. Our God is not sitting around waiting for something to do for us to come up with faith so that he can finally get busy and come along and make sure that we've got plenty of everything we want. Now, I mentioned this not too long ago. Years ago, our congregation read Purpose Driven Life during the season of Lent. Uh, Some church members were upset that we were reading a book by a pastor who was not a Lutheran. And a few church members were upset with me that I asked them to read a book. They said, you read it and give us bullet points. (laughs) But the people who were the most upset really didn't care about the denominational affiliation of the author or that I suggested we might read a book together. They were most upset about the opening lines. It takes this prosperity gospel um, and turns it on its head. And here's the opening lines that you might remember. It's not about you. Uh, The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. And ooh, baby, that really ticks some people off. And then Rick Warren goes on to say, if not to God, you will surrender to the opinions or expectations of others. You will surrender to money, to resentment, to fear, or to your own pride, lusts, or ego. You were designed to worship God. And if you fail to worship Him, you will create other things that are idols to give your life to. You are free to choose what you surrender to, but you are not free from the consequence of that choice. So I know as Lutherans, we may wish that Rick Warren, a Baptist, had some different theological nuances here and there. But the overall message, I think, is a message to which even Martin Luther could agree. Jesus did not come to glorify our fallen ego or to convince us that we have the power within us or for us to come up with enough faith that somehow we can activate a dormant God. Uh, Luther talked about this in the Catechism. Uh, Jesus came to free us from bondage to sin and death, from our helplessness uh, to free us from our age-old preoccupation with the self in order that we might truly live boldly and joyfully and, if necessary, sacrificially. 
And that's not a real popular message this day. Make sacrifices for others, for Christ. The message of the cross tells us that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot make ourselves holy in the sight of God. We can't do enough to earn a place in heaven. Only the blood of Jesus can do this. His blood is pure grace, not earned, but shed, given, not activated by our faith, but given with such love that it activates faith within us. Now then, lest you get the preacher wrong, the message of the cross does not mean that we shouldn't work hard in this life, this side of heaven. If students want good grades, they better study hard and pay attention in class. If you want to do well at work, then you need to do more than just enough to get by. It may mean, as I well know, coming in early, staying late, and missing lunch from time to time. You don't do well by doing just enough. If you want to move from the bench to the starting lineup, you don't solve the problem by whining and griping about your lack of playing time. You work harder. You practice harder. You dedicate yourselves to improving your skill sets. That's how it is in the kingdom of this world. You know this, I know this. But in the kingdom of God, we can't work harder to make ourselves holier and more righteous before the Lord because it will never be enough. For if we could make ourselves holy enough, if we could make ourselves righteous enough, if we could do this all by our sheer determination, then we don't need Christ crucified and there'd be no reason for Jesus. So in this kingdom of God, we do not boast of our one loss record. We do not boast of our accomplishments. We do not boast of ourselves. This is our message. Uh, we brag on God. We rejoice in the Lord. We boast in our awesome, gracious God. As Paul tells us in that last verse, as it is written, let those who boast, boast of the Lord. Now, whenever you see in the New Testament, as it is written, you should ask yourself, well, where is it written? And most of the time, you'll find that it was written in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And so Paul is quoting in verse 31, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 24. Let those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. So we boast in the living God who acts with justice, who will judge the living and the dead and who paid the price for your sin and my own that we could live with him forever. We boast in the living God who acts with righteousness, whose word is holy and pure, whose word is life itself, even when the world around us dismisses it as foolishness. This is our message. We boast in the living God who acts with steadfast love, you see, this is what the cross is all about. It's about love. A God who was willing to suffer death alone on a cross for sinners like you. 
and a sinner like me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.